Well, good morning, New Life Church. My name is Eric. I'm one of the pastors here. I do have a question for you. How do you rest? Or maybe I should, I am talking to mainly Americans, so maybe I should ask, do you rest? It's probably a better question. How do you rest? Is it, is it a rare occurrence in the mere mention of the word rest fills you with longing? Oh, if I could just rest. Or is it a regular occurrence that brings a smile to your face? Oh, yes, I love, I love that. It seems to me that in our culture, there is either an aversion to rest or a worship of rest. Dueling fallacies, parallel mistakes. We either demonize work and we live for the weekend. We play rock songs about that, right? And begrudgingly show up on Monday morning to our job and try to check out as much as possible. Or we glorify work and think slowing down is weak or something to be avoided. I think if we come to our idea of rest as a response to our culture, we are bound to mess it up. Rest, from the perspective of the Bible, is not merely an aversion or an abstention or an avoidance of one's own work, but instead trusting in someone else's work. Rest is a rhythm of stopping or a rhythm of stopping your striving because God has worked. Psalm 92 will help you rest. This morning our psalm is a song for rest and we will see that rest includes worship. Because the works of the Lord are reason to sing every hour and all of life. The works of the Lord are reason to sing every hour and all of life. We can rest because He has worked. So pull out your Bibles and turn to just about the middle. It's not quite the middle, but it's really close if you're counting the page numbers. Turn to just about the middle, and we will jump into Psalms, the 92nd one. If you don't have a Bible, talk to me afterwards. I want to get you a Bible. But if you do, open it to the middle, and we will, get, we will start in Psalm 92. I'm going to start at the very beginning and read again. A psalm, a song for the Sabbath. Let's stop at the title for just a moment. It is a psalm. It is a song for the Sabbath. We know this, this sets us up for here's the type of thing you're going to sing, but this is a song specifically for the Sabbath. And some of you may be thinking, what in the world is the Sabbath? The Sabbath was the last day of the week. It's Saturday. Originally, when God did his work of preparing a place for humans to dwell, he worked for six days and then he rested. And in that, he created a rhythm of work and then rest. You work and then you rest. In fact, it's marked out in the Ten Commandments, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy, keep it set apart, keep it distinct from the other six days of work. And in fact, they had a long list, the people of Israel, they had a long list of things to do and things not to do on the Sabbath to ensure it was a time of rest, it was something separate. You don't work, you don't get caught up on your chores, you don't get caught up on your cooking, you don't go grocery shopping, you do something different. And the keeping of the Sabbath became a distinctive part of what it meant to be the people of Israel. Other nations could look and go, oh, that's, that's the nation of Israel. They don't do anything on Saturdays. In fact, it was so distinctive, this is a song for that day, for the Sabbath. 
Here is a song for the day you rest. Here is a song for when you have set your working aside, when you can pause, when you stop striving and where you are reminded that someone is working and it doesn't need to be me. Someone is doing the necessary works of sustaining you and protecting you and providing for you even when you are resting, even when you are asleep and it is not you. You need that reminder. You need a Sabbath. And this song, interestingly, is a song for the Sabbath, for the time when you are not working and it is all about the works of the Lord. Did you catch that? As Cindy read it, how many times did you hear about works as it was read? The song for the Sabbath, the time of not working, is all about God's work. All his work is a reason to praise him, to worship him, to give thanks. So the Sabbath is not just an invitation to a vegetative state on the couch in front of the TV. It is an invitation to rest in God's work instead of your own work. It is a day to give thanks, it is a day to celebrate, a day to remind yourself you are secure, not because of your own doing. It is a day to sing. This song, Psalm 92, will give us words to use in our celebrating, words to use in our resting. It says, it is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night to the music of the lute and the harp, to the melody of the lyre. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands, I sing for joy. It is good. It is fitting. It is the proper thing to do. It is right to give thanks to the Lord. To give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to his name. Why? Because he is the most high. He is the greatest. If you were to rank persons higher and higher by prominence or by greatness or by magnificence, God is the most high. And that prominence is reason enough to praise him. Because no one else is higher. He is deserving of praise. And we praise people who are great, right? We do this all the time. Even in the small arena of sports. He is the goat. She is the goat. I will leave out names to avoid any unnecessary controversy. But the goat, the greatest of all time, that's what the goat means. And we say, he's the goat, she is the goat. And we heap praise and accolades and words of honor because someone played a game better than anyone else has played a game a game almost invariably involving a small ball that a small portion of us humans on the globe play for only a small period of time in the vast scope of history on this spinning sphere in the middle of the universe and we say, the goat, the greatest of all time. God made the sphere 
God made people. God created the oxygen filling your lungs and set creativity and intelligence in your mind. God set the cosmic symphony on its course. God is the uncaused cause. Everything aside from him had a precursor, something that started, something that necessarily precedes it, not God. God, the Most High, sits above everything and brought it all into existence, truly the greatest of all time. That is the reason to give thanks, because he is the Most High. Have any of you seen the pictures taken by the James Webb Space Telescope? You all should Google that when you get home. A space camera we threw into space peering into the cosmos, taking pictures of those cosmic symphonies that have been sitting there in glorious beauty, unseen by man until just the past couple weeks. God caused those nebulas and galaxies, stars and numerous planets. God sits above as creator, most high. There is nothing else in all creation that can surpass him because anything else is just that creation, something he caused, that is something to think about while you rest. There is reason to give thanks. It is good. That alone may give you the ability to rest, frankly. You can look and think and ponder, ah, he's got bigger things under control than the stuff I am stressed about. He must have this too. He is the most high. I can praise and rest. Praise is the proper response. Ross says, praise harmonizes with the nature and plan of God. Therefore, it is fitting and right. Praise is a means for us to sing along with the song of God's works and plans. It is good to praise the Most High. It is good to declare His character. In the morning when you wake up, you can sing about His steadfast love. And when you are going to bed, you can declare His faithfulness because they are that steady. You can sing about them all day because you don't have to waste time with caveats. His steadfast love and His faithfulness are unblemished, unfailing, unending, unfathomable. This steadfast love is a common character quality used to describe God in Scripture. It's constantly popping up. This is the Hebrew word hesed, used to describe the work of God covenanting himself to people, making promises to love them and be their God and they be his people. Or as the Jesus Storybook Bible describes it, his never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. This is who God is. This is a song you can sing in the morning and in the evening. In fact, when God tells us his own name, when he reveals who he is, he attaches his hesed, his steadfast love to his name. He tells Moses his name in Exodus 34, and he says, I am the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. This is who God is, abounding 
in steadfast love and faithfulness. When the sun is rising, his love is steadfast, worthy of praise. When the sun is setting, he remains faithful and worthy of praise. And this love has never, never, never failed. This is the love that promised Adam and Eve after they had followed the snake instead of him, after they had broken relationship with him. This is the love that promises them, I will bring a child to crush the snake. This is the love that plucked old man Abraham and his wife Sarah and says, I will give you a child and make you a people and through you all people will be blessed. This is the love that did not fail while Israel waited, enslaved for their rescuer in Egypt. He came and trounced Egypt and their gods and brought them to a land. He is faithful and abounding in steadfast love and he wants relationship with you. Is that a reason to declare? Is that a reason to sing? in the morning, in the evening. And the psalm says, put that declaration to song, to the music of the lute and the harp and to the melody of the lyre. All the stringed instruments you can find, we gotta make some songs. To the instruments that can bring varied notes and put together complex chords and allows for euphonious melody. That means good sounding. Give it a tune that gives anthem to the lips and hope to the heart. The character of, and goodness of God should be afforded more than a monotone song. The lute in Hebrew is literally the 10. It probably had 10 strings. We have keys on the piano. We have six strings on the guitar. Use them in all the creativity and beauty they allow to declare the love and faithfulness of God. This is one of the reasons we sing together every Sunday. This is one of the reasons we weigh every song and assess the lyrics because we need songs to help us sing of the steadfast love of the Lord. We need songs that remind us of his faithfulness. We need songs that when they come to mind or get stuck in our head, they give us reason to rest in his work, in his faithfulness, in his goodness. We will sing and we will play the songs and we will declare because you, O oh Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands I sing for joy. That's why we sing. Have you ever just pondered? I'm not going to assume any of us Americans even know how to rest, so maybe I can just ask the question, have you ever just paused for a moment to remember his works on your behalf? Do you pause and, and recall? I know for me, if I don't remind myself, I get stuck in just the next couple hours and this is everything I see right here. And I don't remember anything that happened before. Pausing and considering the work of the Lord as an activity for rest. Remembering where you were a year ago or five years ago or 10 years ago and what has changed. The change for good is the work of the Lord. That pondering will give you an occasion to be glad about the work of the Lord. If you look back, I am certain you can see God has worked for you, worked in you, worked on your behalf. Whether you go all the way back to the work of creation or sustaining 
or the work of relationship between God and man or his faithfulness in keeping a people or keeping you upright or maturing you in character or giving you good gifts, all of these are reasons to be glad, to exclaim, yes. Indeed, every Sabbath, as you rest and you pause and you sit and your heart rate goes down, and your breath becomes slow and steady as you let go of the stress and the striving from the weak and you give a moment to realize it's all still sustained. It's all still held together. Not because I am striving, but because God is still active. That is a moment to say, yes, God is good and I am in joy because of his works. I want that rhythm for you. I want these words to be your words. In verse five, how great are your works, O Lord. We have exclamation points this morning. How great are your works, O Lord. Your thoughts are very deep. The stupid man cannot know, the fool cannot understand this, that though the wicked sprout like grass and all evildoers flourish, they are doomed to destruction forever. But you, O Lord, are on high forever. For behold your enemies, O Lord, for behold your enemies shall perish. All evildoers shall be scattered. Do you ever sit and let your mind try to fathom the magnitude of space? or the immensity of time. These things God created and placed us into inhabit. Space alone is gargantuan. I've been talking about that telescope. I just, I just, if I just start to ponder the size of Oregon in my relationship to it, I am reminded how small I am. Or stand next to the ocean like Scott was talking about. And just stare at the works of the Lord. Where's the horizon? It's, what, it's going down. What, what do I do? Now expand that to the universe. And then add the layer of time. Time after time after time. And things are ex- exponentially more complex. And God holds all of this in his mind. He knows the nature of the ocean in 2022 and what it was 2,000 years ago and what it will be 2,000 years from now. He holds all of it in his mind. His thoughts are very deep. There's the understatement of the Psalms. I can barely hold a week in my head. Can you hold a week? Maybe I can't even hold a week in my head. And if I am holding it, it's in very grainy resolution let alone all of time and space. His thoughts are very deep. And what is it he specifically knows? All of it. His thoughts are very deep. He knows the beginning, the middle, and the end of the story of all creation, all time and place. And he knows that evildoers are doomed to destruction. He knows the story and how it plays out. And even though we look out now and see the wicked sprout like grass, they seem to be everywhere. Even though the evildoers flourish, they are doomed to destruction. His thoughts are very deep. And he is high forever. He was and is and will remain the most high. Nothing can top him. Isn't this worth singing about? 
that you belong to a God that will play this out in a way that is just and good and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Because if we just look out, it often seems like there is a lot of grass. The hills are covered. We are overrun. Evil is so often on the move, choking out the flowers. And often seem too much for our small tools, like the overgrown house on the side street that is too big a match for the push lawnmower. All too often, it seems like evil outmatches us. Like the evil players on the world stage and the domestic stage and the neighborhood stage too often get what they want and we are beat or bruised or killed. They seem to be flourishing growing, overtaking. And this is a Sabbath psalm, friends. Sit and rest. God holds all of this in his mind. His thoughts are deep. Sit and rest. It says the stupid man, the foolish man, cannot know the relationship of God to evil in the span of time. And this is not man in general, but stupid man. Or the man that would live as a beast, insensitive to revelation, insensitive to the words of this book, the lyrics of this psalm, only seeing what is in front of him. A man that does not sit and rest in the character of the Most High or give thanks for the works of the Most High. Maybe that should be the the big idea this morning. Don't be a stupid man. The ladies are like, yeah, yeah, that's that's good. (laughs) Because the stupid man, the stupid human, ladies, it's, it's for all of us, the fool does not have the wherewithal to put God into the story. He looks out and says, oh, wow, the grass sure is tall. I guess the grass always wins. And then the summer arrives, and the sun roasts the grass, and it is brown and dead and gone. Just like it is foolish in April to think grass will remain in August, it is foolish to think that the evil will forever stand against the just and righteous God. All their actions scream the antithesis of his character and place themselves in a position of authority. They are woefully mistaken in action and intent because who is the most high? He is. And they are doomed to destruction forever. And he will remain the most high. It says, for behold, your enemies, O Lord, for behold, your enemies shall perish. All evildoers shall be scattered. Is that not reason to give thanks? Is that not reason to rest? Is that not reason to sing? God is not caught unawares. God has more enemies than you. All the enemies of justice and righteousness are God's enemies. All the evildoers are God's enemies. All those who would blemish the beautiful and gouge the good and twist the truth are God's enemies. And he knows their schemes and their ends. 
and he sees their injustice and their evil. He sees the ones that seem to get away. He sees the ones that seem to be winning. He sees the ones who are in the shadows and the ones who are brazen in their evil. The ones who seem to be more organized and always toward ill intent and the ones who seem to have brute force that overcomes justice. All the enemies of God shall perish. He will scatter them like so many ants. And where there seem to be power, we will observe puniness. And where there seem to be unflinching daring, we will see cowardice. And where we thought evildoers rose like an army, we will see them disbanded forever, not because we took it on ourselves and finally scored some points, but because the Lord will no longer allow his enemies to stand. I can rest in that. You can rest in that. That can help you sleep at night. That can give you reason to sit for a day to breathe easy. His works are great. He endures through all of time and over evil. And even with that magnitude, he engages even the individual. Psalm 92 says, But you have exalted my horn like that of the wild ox. You have poured over me fresh oil. My eyes have seen the downfall of my enemies. My ears have heard the doom of my evil assailants. Did you hear it shift? Exalted my horn, poured over me. My eyes have seen my enemies, my ears, my evil assailants. We were in the broad scope and now the song zooms in. I don't know who wrote this psalm or whether the writer had specific examples in mind or if the writer is giving you an opportunity to ponder for yourself. The writer has seen things, reasons to confirm, yes, God is good. Stories from the past when the enemies have fallen and their doom had been sure. A horn is a symbol of power, so to have your horn exalted is to be raised up. Oil represents an anointing, a setting apart for service. You could picture a person like David remembering the story of his own life. You raised me up, God. You anointed me. As though to bring to mind the markers that point to the relationship he has with God. God's goodness is not held to only the general, but is focused on each of us. And that is refreshing to remember. That is restful to remember. As you sit and rest and your mind goes to ponder the immense and the complex, your mind is grateful that God has all of time and knows the end of the evil ones. But you can also go to the imminent, to your memories, and remember what God has done for you. Perhaps you will bring to mind when you were baptized and identified with Jesus in his death and resurrection. Perhaps you remember when you were connected to his community, when God was unexpectedly gracious to you, healing you or a family member from an illness, or giving you a good gift. This writer may have had particular physical battles in mind when the downfall of enemies was seen and heard. The people of Israel could always, always remember the rescue from Egypt as a reason to give thanks. And you may be drawn to remember when you were pulled out of an addiction or rescued from a dangerous situation or relationship. 
Or some of you may have a story of God protecting you from an, an assailant just like this. As the melody of this Sabbath song plays, the encouragement is to rehearse the examples you know of God exalting you, protecting you, protecting others, being faithful, abounding in steadfast love. As you sit and rest in his works, not your own, rehearse the example of his works you have seen and observed. Remind remind yourself because we are prone to forget And if you're like me, you're prone to just be focused on the next little bit. And when we forget, when we are not paying attention, when we don't have our memories, we are are prone to blame God for not acting because in our faulty memories, we think he never has. Remind yourself how he has been good to you and then remember he flourishes his people. We've narrowed in scope. We're gonna broaden in scope again. In verse 12, the righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. I love this. The Lord, the covenant-making God of steadfast love and faithfulness flourishes the righteous. He does not abandon us. In fact, he plants us in the house of the Lord. God, most high, spinning galaxies into existence, also turns his attention to humanity and takes us and plants us in the house of the Lord. He plants us in his home. What grace, what goodness. And the righteous, those God has connected to himself, they flourish like the palm tree. They grow like the cedar in Lebanon. I love this because this is in contrast to the evil who grow like grass. You know what grows quickly and seems big for a moment and then burns up under the hot sun? Grass. And you know what takes a little longer to grow, but stands and weathers the storm and has longevity and bears fruit, a tree. One can grab your attention and annoy you, and the other has a quiet grandeur. In fact, there are times when grass seems bigger than a baby tree just poking out of the dirt, but the tree will flourish and the grass will go away. And the God who holds time and space in his, in his mind has established the righteous as trees, as the palms and as the cedars of Lebanon. The cedars of Lebanon are the trees of legend sought from far and wide to build the palace of kings and the temple of God. The grass will one day go to destruction, but the righteous will flourish like the palm tree and grow like the cedar because they are planted in the house of the Lord. They're in the soil of the one who is abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. They will flourish because they reside within the walls of his house. If you are connected to the Lord, he has planted you in his house. You are in God's garden. Things grow well in God's garden. 
in the soil that brings life and flourishing, life that points to a way of living no longer blemished by twisted and broken ramifications of sin. The righteous flourish. The righteous exude life. The righteous grow and stretch because the Lord planted them. The Lord tends to them. The Lord grows them. The Lord is steadfast, loving, and faithful. They grow, and it says they still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green. Do you love that phrase? They don't dry out and break and become brittle. They are ever full of sap and green to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. And in their old age, they bear fruit. My silver-haired friends, this is for you. God has rooted you and planted you in his house, and he is flourishing you. There is no retirement from bearing fruit. You are ever full of sap and green, vim and vigor, life and breath. Why? To declare that the Lord is upright, that he is good and straight and true. That is why you have life. That was your declaration when you were young, and that is why you were ever full of breath, that your lips may say, he is my rock, that your presence may proclaim there is no unrighteousness in him. You are here to make known the goodness of God. Perhaps in nature we know of aged trees that stop bearing fruit, not in God's garden. Your declaration of God's goodness just become more lovely to the ear. Be encouraged, friends, all of us. We open this book because there is truth here. We gather every Sunday to be reminded to whom we belong. We are rooted in God's house. And every day of every week, you will look out and you will see grass high and unkempt and you will be tempted to exclaim, oh no, the grass is winning. Oh no, the grass is greater than God. There is no rest for the weary. We must keep working. No one else can do this but us. Friends, God has this. And he has you. He has you within his house. He has rooted you. He is growing you. He is establishing you. And you will flourish. You are sitting in the soil of life and you will bear fruit. And you know what is not destroyed in this passage? The trees. The cedars. The grass. The enemies, they go away but to be rooted in the house of the Lord is to be connected to the steadfast one who holds time and space in his mind and his house is not temporary lodging. You will be in his presence forever. Ever full of sap and green. So sit and rest in this good news, friends. This is a Sabbath song. Even as I worked on this sermon I could feel an exhale. God has got it. He is doing the work. I don't have to do the work. He is bringing the flourishing. He is taking care of the enemies. He holds the complexity of the universe in his mind. And where I may be overwhelmed with a sliver, he is undaunted by all he created. 
rest in his works. And what is his greatest work? His greatest work was a gift. His own son to bring our redemption, to bring about our flourishing, to die a death, to make us friends, and to give life, death-conquering life, flourishing life, rooted life in the house of the Lord. Some asked Jesus, God's son, while he walked on the spinning sphere, they asked him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. The work of God is that you believe in Jesus. That is step one for rest. Trust his work for you on your behalf that he loves you and sent Jesus for you and will connect you to himself with steadfast love and faithfulness. And second, rest in the fact that nothing, nothing, nothing can undo the work of God. Paul says it this way in Romans 8. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can uproot you from the house. Nothing. If you are weary, he is working. You no longer need to strive. He brings flourishing. If you are scared, he is working. He will bring justice and righteousness and you are rooted. If you are uncertain, run to Jesus. He is abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. If you are old or young, we belong to the same God with the same mighty works and there is reason to sing, even this morning. Let's pray. Lord, I feel as though this psalm helps me to rest. You have done great things and the danger that seems to loom so large you have in your eye and it will not overcome you. Allow us to rest in that. Lord, if there are some here who are not connected to you, give them belief this very moment and plant them in the house of the Lord. And for all who are rooted, give them rest. Give them a firm confidence in your works and teach them to rest in your works. Use our songs to have us correctly responding to you in rest. Amen.